Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to look at what we can do, everyone on the planet can do, to work towards world peace. My guest is an expert on this topic. Mr. Steve Kill LA, an Australian national, is the founder and executive chairman of the Charitable Foundation and the Institute for Economics and Peace. He has a remarkable career as a successful IT innovator and global philanthropist. Steve Kill LA, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thanks, Bill. Very good to be here. I'm looking forward to the discussion. I appreciate you being with me today. You were involved in IT most of your professional life, I guess. But now you've, and even when you were doing that, you may have done it at the same time, dedicated a large part of your life to promoting peace. But why did you decide to make that transition? Or what are you, why do you want to work and why should we all work towards world peace? I guess the transition sort of came about accidentally. So I set up two publicly listed companies, one on NASDAQ, one on the Australian Stock Exchange, made quite a bit of money out of that, and then founded a, a, a personal foundation to work with the poorest of the poor. And that ended up taking me into a lot of war zones, near post war zones. I was actually in northeast Kabul in the Congo one time, walking through there. I suddenly thought, what are the most peaceful nations in the world? Was there anything I could learn to bring to the projects I was doing. Bit of a fantasy question. Search the internet, couldn't find anything. And that's how the Global Peace Index was born. But then that created quite a profound question. Because if we can't measure peace, can we truly understand it? If you can't measure it, then how do you even know whether your actions are helping you or hindering you in achieving your goals? You simply don't. And that was the genesis of the Institute for Economics and Peace, which now, in its areas, one of the leading think tanks in the world. Uh, yes, it certainly is. Our viewers can go to your website at uh, www.economicsandpeace.org to get more information on what we're talking about. Now, you mentioned the Global Peace Index. What exactly is that? And what does it measure? How did you decide to do this? Yeah, well, up to the point of doing the Global Peace Index, people weren't really measuring peace. It was generally seen as, how can I put it, a fairly left wing, uh, was very ascetic, uh, uh, esoteric, I suppose. Uh, and so what we did is we came up with a mechanism for defining peace. And so we came up with a very, very simple definition the absence of violence or fear of violence. And that's what's called negative form of peace. We then sort of uh, hired a, uh, the Economist Intelligence Unit in London to help construct the first index. We do them all now. And it had three different domains, militarisation, ongoing conflict, and internal safety and security. So we bring those three domains together to create 
Composite Index, which measures global peace. Wonderful. Can you give an example of some of the countries that would fall into those? I guess everyone would fall into those three areas, but are there areas of success and areas where we need to focus more? It's interesting. It's it's quite interesting. So if you go to the bottom of the index, obviously you've got the countries which are wracked with the most violence. So down, down in the bottom 10, for example, you've got countries like Iraq, You've got Syria, uh, you have Russia's down in that bottom 10 now. Uh, and uh, if so, if you move the is it Somali, Yemen, maybe some other examples, Bikini Faso, if you went to the top of the index, it's generally dominated by Western European countries. So at the top of the index is Iceland. Now, you quite often get jokes about, well, Iceland's so peaceful because it's so cold, no one will go outside at night. But <laughs> <laughs> we put that aside. There are very, very good reasons why Iceland is so peaceful. And part of it's historic. Like it goes back, right back, you trace it back a thousand years. And then you'll come to other countries like, like Sweden. They're well up there. Canada tends to rate quite well. If we get down to the Pacific, you've got countries like New Zealand, Japan. They're relatively up towards the top. The large, uh, Nations with large militaries like the US or China, they tend to be mid-ranking countries slightly below the halfway rate. So the US is usually in about the 120s. China's about the same. Mm-hmm. One of the more interesting things is countries rise slowly when they increase in peace. But when they fall in peace, it can be quite precipitous just how fast they can drop. Mm-hmm. Very true. Of course, Ukraine, I guess, has taken quite a nosedive the last year and four months or three months, whatever it is. And are there any countries that have risen dramatically that you can think of right offhand that maybe were not doing well last year, year before, that have bumped up and have uh, promoted peace or are developing peaceful negotiations or uh, peaceful gen- gen- yeah, well, gen- generally you find countries which come out of conflict rise quite quickly. So Iraq, for example, it's still down towards the bottom of the index, but the actual measurements itself improved quite uh, remarkably over the last few years. And then there are other countries which bounce around. So like Niger uh, would be one. So it had very large falls for a couple of years and then sort of bounced back quite remarkably last year and quite a little bounce back more again this year. So it's quite interesting the way they way the various countries move around. Bhutan is a country which has sort of improved over the years. And quite often you'll get regions around different areas which will improve as well. Like Costa Rica is a country which has improved quite a bit over the years. So there'll be a couple of the examples. Mm-hmm. Now, there are other organizations on our planet that are working towards peace, and two that I've been involved with, and I know you probably, I guess you have, I can't say for sure, are the United Nations and Rotary International. Do you have any interactions with, well, start off with the UN, and are you doing anything with the UN on any of the projects that you have underway? Yeah, we have a lot of interaction with the UN. Uh, a lot of it's dealing around sort of the consulting work and research. So we've probably, well, at this stage, we'd have seven different departments of the UN, which were developed 
BRESE reports for, which would be paid consulting. Uh, so some of those plate areas would be the World Food Program, UNEP, it'd be UNDP, UNESCO, and that'd, be, that'd, that'd be a couple of the examples. Uh, also, sort of the, our work, particularly the Global Peace Index, is one of the standard reports. They're doing a country report that, along with the Global Terrorism Index, they, they're quite often included, or they're nearly always included in those reports to give insight into the country. So that'd be a couple, couple of the ways we're working with them. Rotary International, we've got a strategic partnership with them too. It's interesting you picked that one uh, as well, Bill. But if we're looking at the Rotary International, we've got a strategic partnership where they use our positive peace framework, and I can talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes, but positive peace framework set out the attitudes, institutions and structures which create and sustain peaceful societies. So being able to turn that round into a, tr a program where you can run workshops on it, you can do training on it, and then you can also execute community-based projects around it. And so that's what the nature of the relationship with the uh, uh, Rotary International is. We've probably uh, trained, oh, I think we've trained about a couple of thousand people in Rotary now, and they're probably now presented to uh, in the hundreds of thousands of that's, people that's, within Rotary. That's a tremendous ripple effect. That's remarkable. It certainly is. And, of course, if our viewers would like to get more information on both of these organizations, they can go to www.un.org or they can go to www.rotary.org and learn much more about some of the peace initiatives and also, diff well, economic development programs and a variety of other things that they have underway. So please take a look at that. You mentioned the concept positive peace. What exactly is that? Well, it's the, it'll use the simple definition, the attitudes, institutions, and structures which create and sustain peaceful societies. So the more fundamental question is how do you arrive at positive peace? So we've got the Global Peace Index, which covers 163 countries and about 99.7% of the world's population. So we now have, I think, about... 50,000 different data sets, indexes, attitudinal surveys down on the research facilities in Sydney. So what we do is we run uh, mathematical modelling, statistical analysis back against the Global Peace Index to determine the factors which are most closely associated with peaceful societies. Now, once we've got and that once we've got that, we use other statistical techniques to clump those things together. And that falls out into a topology of eight pillars, which we call the pillars of positive peace. And the thing which is profound about that piece of body of work is that it's purely empirically driven. In other words, it's purely just using mathematics, yeah, just using mathematics. And so it's not my ideas on peace. It's not the researcher's ideas on peace. It's independently driven. And so most work on peace comes around to a qualitative perspective. It's generally a moral judgment. It's something to do with your beliefs. The work we've got's not. It's empirically derived. And then once we, and that clumps down into eight different areas, none of them will seem counterintuitive to you when I mention them. But what we do then is we turn that back around into an index, and that becomes really profound. 
because then we can see what other qualities move with peace. And that, my friend, gets very, very exciting. I can imagine. I can imagine. Anything we can do to promote peace, we're better off doing it. And we'll come back in just a moment and talk about the Global Terrorism Index. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with the PBS or Community Access Television Station, or perhaps an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast, or you have a, just a computer, you like our shows, you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at what we can do, all of us on planet Earth, to promote peace, which is so important to all of us. My guest today is Mr. Steve Killele, an Australian national who is the founder and executive chairman of the Charitable Foundation and the Institute for Economics and Peace. Steve, we're talking about what we can do and how we can all be involved in, in this activity. Of course, we can learn more about the United Nations, learn more about your group, or get involved in Rotary International as someone who's been involved in Rotary now for quite a while, past district governor. I, I can empathize with how important it is for us to be involved. But let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the other item that I mentioned, the uh, Global Terrorism Index. What exactly is that? Well, the Global Terrorism Index measures the, the state of terrorism globally. And we really started to get into that would be about a decade ago. I think we're, we're into our 10th year of it now. It could be our 12th year, something like that anyway. Mm -hmm. And really, it came about when we started to see the rise of terrorism in Iraq, probably about 2007. So the data we've got, we take back to about 2002. And so there are a number of groups around the world which track the terrorist attacks. So we take the information out of those databases, then put it together to provide a global view of terrorism. So which countries are increasing, which countries are improving, uh, so that we get and what, what are the active terrorist groups globally. And then we combine it with a whole lot of the other data which we've got. So it be conflict data, it could be ecological data, because we do a lot of work around the ecology. And to get and then sort of a whole lot of socioeconomic factors as well, so we can get a better understanding of the kind of environments in which terrorism thrives or does not thrive, and be a better way to look at it because that's the positive. Exactly, we'll take the positive every chance we get. Right, right, very true. Well, when we're talking about violence, and there are all forms of violence out there. We see horrific violence in Ukraine right now. We see violence within families. We see violence against women, against children, and, and that type of thing. But there's there's a human cost involved in this, but there's also an economic cost. How Have there been any projections as to what the costs are of violence or of upheavals in the various societies? Or I know we can look at how much is spent on arms, I think it's over, it's like $2.1 trillion now 
on guns and weapons that are being sold around the world. But are, do you have any figures on economic costs uh, due to violence? Yes, yeah, so we're looking we're looking at that. We've got an economic cost of violence to the global economy, or the economic value of peace. Again, if you want to put it in a positive light. So either way you look at it, the uh, and these are conservative figures because we can only count what we count. And so we've got eighteen different dimensions which we use to calculate this figure. And the figure's stunning. Like it's a uh, sixteen point five trillion dollars in twenty twenty one. So that's $16.5 trillion. Uh, uh, that's 11% of global GDP. And that's number, as I said, is conservative. Now, what I want you to think about is none of us can really imagine a world which is a, a, a peaceful. So we're not going to free up all that trapped economic value. But imagine a world which is 10% more peaceful. That would be at one65 trillion dollars and just to give you an idea of the size of that that is something like 10 times all the money spent on overseas developmental aid last year it's the equivalent of the adding three new economies to the world uh, which are the size of switzerland ireland and denmark so the amount of money trapped there is exceptionally large exceptionally large and so even the 1%, bring up 1%, that's the equivalent of all overseas developmental aid last year. It's a lot of money. It certainly is. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. Now, when you're looking at these figures, do you factor in the climate crisis and the fact that desertification's taking place, that uh, the climate's changing in many areas of the world, agriculturalists are no longer able to survive, uh, do those factor into into this? No, no, no. Really? It's, no, it's just 18 dimensions, and all of them are pretty uh, clear. They'd be the so. I'll give you an give you an example. Give you an example. So it'd be military. So that'd be uh, the cost of all the militaries globally. And that's the biggest factor. It's also we've got things like the cost of the homicides globally. That'd that'd uh, factor into it as well. Cost of the lost GDP through conflict, there'd be some other examples. Cost of incarceration, cost of running police forces globally, they're the, all the kind of things which we factor in. So a, a, a suicide, we recently added suicide as a dimension which we take into account. We say it is a form of violence. So they'll get, so it's really pretty much a, a things, bread and butter, things dealing with violence. So Estimating uh, the costs of the uh, 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 climate climate change, uh, we wouldn't see that as coming under the definitions which we use in the Global Peace Index or in the Positive Peace in, in the Positive Peace either. However, there are factors which then aggravate uh, aggravate conflict, if you like. So we bring out a report each year called the Ecological Threat Report. Now, what it does is it looks globally and looks at, it takes five different domains in. And so it looks at countries ecologically, then also the biggest cities in the world. We also study them as well. And one of the things which is quite profound, if you look at the countries, quite often the worst conflicts, 
you've got overlap, overlapping ecological crises as well. So that'd be countries like, let's say, Afghanistan. If we went to the Sahel, we've got a number of the serious conflicts running in the Sahel. All of those countries are suffering from ecological, massive ecological degradation. You'd see it in Iraq, Syria as well. <coughs> and so you've got, <coughs> excuse me, you've got this overlap of multiple factors coming together. So all these things are systemic. They don't actually come from one underlying factor which causes the others. So if we went up and, let's say, looked at a lot of these countries, you'd find that, one, you've got very weak governance. You've got areas of the country which aren't policed or controlled. You'll find this ecological degradation. Quite often there's conflict, already armed conflict going on. And so if you've got armed conflict, that degrades the environment. It also means that it's very hard for people to plant food. So environment and degrades further, then that comes back and leads to further conflict. So you'll find that undernourishment is also uh, a, a, an issue in these areas as well. So you've got all these factors which come together and interweave to create a conflict or famine or poor governance. They're all interrelated. They certainly are. And, of course, the bottom line is we need to improve all of those areas and all of us need to work towards peace. Well, Steve, in the last 30 seconds or so that we have, do you have some, really some information or some parting words for young people in particular, but all of our viewers on what we can do to be involved in promoting peace in our communities, countries, and worldwide? So the first thing I'd say is that peace is finally balanced. So we went back over the last 15 years what you had was 77 countries which improved in peace, but only 84 dropped. However, peace has deteriorated on average every year since 2014. So that's it's a, it's a growing crisis. But there are a lot of the uh, uh, bright spots there. More countries have reduced their military than increased it. But the big countries have radically increased their military. So there'd be places like China, Russia, for example. But people... Can, if you're interested, you can go to the Vision of Humanity website or Economics and Peace website. And we've got courses there, which are a whole range of courses which you can do on peace and learn more about peace and become active. Positive Peace, we've got programs people can do in their local communities. So I'd thoroughly recommend for people to become an IEP ambassador, but just really finally and very, very quickly, because I know we're right out of time, but at a personal level, we can make a difference. We really can. It's like next time you go and get a coffee, the guy behind the counter is giving you the coffee. Say hi. Say something pleasant to him. You get, you've got someone who's annoying you. What you do is just sit on it a bit. Think about it before responding. How do we actually make ourselves more peaceful? And that doesn't mean we've become more passive. It doesn't mean we've become a doormat for some someone else's rubbish to be rubbish to be rubbed on it it means you just internally become more peaceful and that'll have an effect on your family your work friends and again back to that guy in the coffee shop that's right we can all do it very easily it doesn't cost us anything to be nice to folks and 
to try to promote our own little brand of peace. But as you mentioned, people can go to your website at www.economicsandpeace.org to get more information and to get uh, programs on this. So, but Steve Kill LA, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thanks. It's been a pleasure being here, Bill. Thank you. My pleasure. And keep up the good work. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.